We're going to talk about miracles tonight. We're going to talk about the attitude that sees miracles. Now, we think of miracles, we think of a, a crippled man walking or something of that nature. The biblical definition of a miracle is anytime God does anything. It's anytime he reaches into human lives. If my heart is hard and cold and I'm angry with somebody and I humble myself and he touches my heart and it goes from anger to tenderness and I start loving people, that's a miracle. I didn't try to do that. That's the Spirit of God reached in and did that. That's a miracle. If my family's not doing well and we just keep falling apart and we can't get along and all of a sudden the Spirit of God comes on that family and it just, everybody's attitude changes and we begin to love each other and care for each other, that's a miracle. God did something. If a body's sick and somebody prays over it in faith and God touches it and they get well supernaturally, that's a miracle. A miracle is anytime God reaches through the veil. He's not just who he is. We don't just believe in him. He does something. When a person is addicted and they're, and they're helpless and they've been, they beat themselves up and they've tried, but it's not working, and all of a sudden something just happens. And uh, I think of a fellow we have here. He, he was in and out. He was in and out of rehab eight times. Just couldn't help it. And then one night sitting in a meeting, he said, this is going to sound strange, but he said something just started right here on the top of my head and something warm just came. I said, ask me if I've heard this before. Something warm just came all the way over me and he said, I've never taken a drop since. I've never had any desire. Well, that, that's a miracle. Amen. That, I mean, I'm all, we, we, have, we help people, we counsel here, but that's when God reaches through the veil. Now, this is what I'm fixing to say. If I read this book correctly, God should be working miracles all the time. Miracles should be normal. I mean, the activity of God should be normal for believers. How many of you have ever seen God do something and you know it was Him? Well, we got to do our part. You know, I'm going to do my part. There's things I need to do, but you can't live this life apart from Him doing something. You've just got to have Him. And I call that a miracle. Anytime God intervenes. And to be honest with you, I can help people a little bit on a few things, but I can't help people much. That's why we have this thing called prayer. Prayer's not an exercise. It's not a blind man shooting blackbirds in the dark, hoping something will hit. All right, we're going to look at, but there, listen to me. There's an attitude that sees miracles. Now, all, that's all I want you to hear tonight. We're going to look at several places in Scripture where people saw miracles, common people, non-religious people. Common people saw God do miracles for them. And I want you to find one common denominator in everything we look at tonight and say, why did he do that for them? Now, listen to me. This thing called uh, dispensationalism is real big in churches, then. It says God did great things then, but he don't do great things now. They call it dispensationalism. I call it from the devil. He is the same. It's the same God that he was then. He wants to help people then like he does. He didn't stop loving people. He didn't stop caring about people. His word didn't die. And I want you to look in these passages. What is it that caused him to do this for these people? Guess why we want to see that? This is not a quiz. Because you need help. You're going to need help. I don't want you to look with me. First one in Mark chapter 5. Let's look in verse 25. <clears throat> Mark 5, 25. A certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years. She was hemorrhaging profusely for 12 years. Think about it. She suffered many things, many physicians, spent all she had. So apparently she was a woman of means. Nobody had money to go to doctors back then. She had money, but she spent it. And doctors couldn't help her. She suffered. 
All right, verse 27, she heard about Jesus. She came behind him in the crowd and, and touched his garment. He, the Greek says she grabbed it. She grabbed his garment. And the Bible said that she said, if I could just touch him or reach him, I'll be well. Immediately, the fountain of her blood was dried up. She was healed. She knew in her body. She felt something in her body. She was healed. Jesus immediately feeling in himself that power had gone out. He, he said to the disciples, who, who just touched me? His disciples said, you see the multitude about to kill you, running over you, and you want to know who touched you? Isn't that a strange question? Jesus stopped. He said, who, who just touched me? He said, and they said, they're running all over you. You want to know who touched you? He didn't mean who bumped me. He meant who just drew something out of me? And uh, watch what happens. And verse 32, he looked around. He's trying to find somebody that had done this thing. The woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened, fell down and told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith made you well. Go in peace and you stay well. Stay healed. Now, number one, this woman was not supposed to be in public. In that culture, a woman bleeding could not go in public till she stopped bleeding. You, you understand what I'm saying here? And this woman had suffered, and the doctors told her, it's hopeless. I mean, she'd been to doctor after doctor, it's hopeless. She, uh, her own mind battled her, it's hopeless. But something inside this woman said, when I grab him, he'll help me. Now, do you think she walked up behind him and touched him? There were thousands of people around him. How'd she get to him? Pa pardon me, pardon me. She fought to get to him. She'd been bleeding 12 years. She'd been sick. She's in a weakened state. And she's fighting through this crowd to get to this man. You would have been offended if you'd seen her. If you'd seen her doing this, you would have thought, what is she doing? But she fought through this crowd. Get out of my way. And she was pushing men to the side. And, and women didn't have rights back then in public like they do now. She's pushing it. And finally, she got to where she could reach him. She lunged and she grabbed his, his, his uh, veil, his coat there, his jacket, and immediately, the power of God just ran through her body. And Jesus said, what happened? And, and he didn't fuss at her. He said, you have great faith. Now, let me ask you a question. What did she do? Where, 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 why was her faith great? What did Jesus call great faith in this passage? Somebody who will fight through and not listen to the voices and will not stop fighting till they get to him. Amen. What's the word? Desperate. Let me tell you something. Desperation is the attitude that sees miracles. This woman was desperate. Turn back with me. Two pages, maybe one page. Mark chapter 2. Jesus is teaching. He's drawing tremendous crowds now because of his teaching and his healing. He's in a house teaching. The house is just packed. Outside is just packed. And in Mark chapter 2, verse 3, they came to him, four men came to him bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. He couldn't use his legs. They probably got him in some kind of blanket and they're holding four corners and they've come to get to said, this guy can heal people. Let's get him to him. So they come, they're going to bring him to Jesus and see if he'll heal him. And uh, <clears throat> they came to him, verse four, when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they figured it was not the will of God and just turned around and left. No. They, uncovered, they went up on the roof where he was and broke through. and They didn't tear a hole in the roof. And in those houses, you had holes. You know, Simon went up on the rooftop. You went up on the rooftop. They just jerked that thing back. And they're lowering this guy down through there. And, you know, it's, it's, they're interrupting his teaching. They're irritating people. 
But they got him down there in front of Jesus. I want you to watch something. They lowered him in front of Jesus. And Jesus saw their faith. Do you think God can see faith? All through the Bible we see it. Jesus sees their faith. He said to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you. And he not only forgave his sins, he said, not only that, get up and walk out of here. And he picked it up. When did Jesus heal that man? It said when he saw something. What did he see? He saw their faith. But what was faith? These were not great teachers. I bet you they couldn't quote one Bible verse. Guess why? Wasn't written at the time. They didn't know. They may not even gone to church. What was it about them? We are going to get this man to God. And when they couldn't get him there on the first try, they didn't turn around and leave. None of this nonsense about it might not be the will of God. They said, we're going to do whatever it takes to get this guy in front of God. What is faith here? Desperation. None of this, if it be thy will stuff. I'm going to knock the slats out of your religion tonight. None of this, if it be thy will stuff. We're going to get this man to God. And he's going to help him. You say, man, you need to be careful talking like that. You need to read the Bible. You need to get rid of your religion, read the Bible. Turn a few pages to the right, Mark chapter 10. We could go through the Bible all night and do this, but we're not. Mark chapter 10. Notice when you see something in the Bible four, five, six, eight, 12, 20 times, God's saying something to you. Mark chapter 10, verse 46. And Mark chapter 10, verse, let me, let me just stop before we read this, ask you a question. You, personally, if you'd been that woman uh, and you were suffering physically and the doctors had told you it's hopeless and you wanted to get to Jesus, but there was a crowd and you, you were a woman, you're not supposed to be in public. Would you have done what she did? Or would you, would you, would you have shoved men out of the way and grabbed him without his permission? All right. You got a child that's in trouble, a friend that's in trouble. They need help. And you know, if I can get him, if I can get him to Jesus, he'll help him. And you get there and the crowd's so great. And you once says, we, we can't get through that crowd. Would you have said, yes, we can. We'll go up on the roof and let him through. What if the owner don't like it? Who gives a rip about the owner? You said, that, that's not a Christian attitude. Read the Bible. But I want you to look at one of my favorite guys in here. Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, verse 46. They came to Jericho. As he went to Jericho, great... With his disciples, a great multitude was around him. Blind Bartimaeus sat by the road begging. When he heard it was, watch this, when he heard it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to pray quietly, if it be thy will. <laughs> Can I point something out? Show me anybody in the Bible praying quietly, reverently. Watch this. He began to cry out. What does cry out mean? What, what did he cry out? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He began to cry out. Remember, he's blind. He didn't know that was Jesus. He just hears this ruckus coming. He says, but what's going on? And they said, that's Jesus. He said, the Jesus that heals. He said, it's a Jesus, Jesus. He begins to cry out, have mercy on me. Well, it wasn't a fancy prayer. He's not a fancy guy. Who gives a rip? It, it wasn't, it's not how you word your prayer. Are you with me? He just cries out. Now watch this. Verse 48, then many warned him to be quiet. You're interrupting the service. You can't do that. I'm sure one of the ministers, local ministers came and said, be reverent in the house of God. But the people, many people told him, shut up. What would you do if you needed help and people told you don't ask? 
Don't do that. Shut up. Don't come up here to the front for prayer no more. <laughs> what would you do? Let's learn something about this guy right here. Watch what he did. He cried out all the more. The more they told him to be quiet, the more he hollered, have mercy on me. He's, a, he's making a fool out of himself. A spectacle. You know, Jesus trying to walk through here. and This guy's going, ah, Jesus, Jesus, have mercy. And the minister's trying to quiet. I don't doubt the disciples tried to quiet him down. He just kept screaming. Isn't this embarrassing? All right, watch what happens here. And uh, Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. I never think Jesus didn't hear him the first time. You know he did. So why did he take so long? Don't start that mess with me. I'm here to teach the Bible. He called to him and they, they said to the malamite, oh, be a good cheer. Oh, now you're on my side now that he's looking at me. He threw aside his garment, came to Jesus. Jesus answered and said to him, watch these words, what do you want me to do for you? How would you like for God to ask you that? I've heard people actually say with their own mouths, God never promised to give you what you want. What did God say to him? You tell me what you want me to do for you. And he said, <laughs> y'all don't find this humorous. You got a blind man and Jesus says, what you need, bud? <laughs> we got to learn something here. He said, I want to see. And Jesus said, well, go your way. Your faith. You see one word keeps popping up here. Your faith has made you well. And, and he began to see that moment. All right, Jesus, did Jesus say this man had faith? Where do you see faith in there? I don't think he knew any Bible verses. I don't even think he had a Bible. He couldn't read. They weren't written. I don't see that he was a great Christian. You know, all I see him doing, all I see him doing is going, help, help. That's all I see him doing. All I see him is desperate for God to do something, and he don't give a flying gnat's rear end who it bothers. That's all I see in here. And Jesus calls that faith. Why is the Bible written? <laughs> that we might learn about God and learn how to walk with Him and deal with Him and pray to Him. Right, we're going to look at a passage. To me, it's always been the most difficult passage in the Bible. I'm reading a book by John Eldridge a while back called Beautiful Outlaw, talking about the life of Jesus. And John came to this page. He said, this is the most difficult passage in the Bible to understand. I said, finally, somebody sees it the way I do. I want you to look at this passage with me. It's in uh, Matthew chapter 15. You have to turn back a little bit. Matthew 15, you cannot explain this passage, but you can learn from it. Matter of fact, this passage offends people that don't have faith. But in Matthew 15, something happened. And I want you to see this. Matthew chapter 15, all right, that Jesus is teaching one day. And in Matthew 15, 21, Matthew 15, 21, Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. So he, he says, come on, guys, we're going somewhere. He walks. He goes to a little, it's on the Lebanese coast today, two little towns together, Tyre and Sidon. He walks up there and a woman of Canaan, which means she was not Israeli, came from that region and cried out, what you do? Why do we pray like we do? Why do people in the Bible pray like they do? I see passion. I see crying out in the Bible. I, I don't see this, Father, we would ask that thou wouldest. I'm not criticizing. I'm just saying the Bible's different. Cried out and said, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, my daughter's demon possessed. Watch verse 23. He answered her not a word. What do you do when God doesn't answer you? What do you do when you pray and nothing happens? 
Watch what she did. I mean, God just didn't answer her, didn't answer her prayer. <clears throat> and his disciples came and urged him saying, send her away. She's crying out after. So what does that tell you? She didn't ask him one time. He didn't answer. And apparently they're walking and the, the disciples get so irritated. She just keeps calling him. You've got to help me. You've got to help me. Did you not hear me? And the disciples are getting irritated because she's harassing Jesus. And uh, finally they say, well, <clears throat> sir, could you get rid of her? You'd be surprised how many followers of Jesus don't see the things the way Jesus does. Amen. Don't listen to the followers. Listen to the man. Amen. All right. We're all trying. And uh, she, did, she just kept hollering. Watch this. This is where it gets hard to understand. Verse 24. He answered her finally and he said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. You know what he said? I'll help other people, but I won't help you. I was only sent to the Jews. She was not Jewish. She was not Israeli. He said, I was only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. You're, you're Lebanese. Or at the time it was called Canaanite. I wasn't sent to help you. If God Almighty spoke to you and said, I'll help others, but I won't help you. What would you tell him? Yes, sir. Sorry, I asked. Watch this. Then she came and worshiped him saying, Lord, help me. I mean, God told her I didn't come to help you. And she said, yeah, 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 okay. Help me. Help me. This is where it gets so hard to understand here. And she just kept, she just, now they're, now the disciples not, now the disciples are looking for the sheriff to get her out of here. Boy, you talk about a strange verse, verse 26. He answered and said to her, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. I don't know if you understand what just happened right there or not. The Jews considered themselves superior people. Every other race is an inferior race. We're the superior race. What was the term that Jews had for every other race? Dogs. That's what would we call that today? That's a racial slur any way you cut it. And Jesus turned to her and he said, I didn't come to help dogs like you. This is why, don't try to explain this. All right, you have asked Jesus, you've prayed, God hadn't answered you. Other believers are saying, you're, you're messing up our prayer meetings. Would you go away? He says, I wasn't sent to help people like you. You keep praying. And he says, I don't help dogs. What would you do then? 99 and 9 tenths percent of all Christians would already be back in the bed. Watch this. <laughs> you want to see something funny? She said, yes, Lord. Even the little dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Now, I can't explain this, but watch this. Jesus answered and said, O oh, woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you is what God desires, you desire. And her daughter was healed that moment. I think he just broke out. You said, explain this. I'm telling you, nobody can explain this passage. This is the most difficult passage in the Bible to understand. But let me tell you, I don't, I don't know why he said that to her. I don't know why it's like she's chasing him and he keeps backing up. And she keeps coming and he keeps backing up. Finally, he says, yes. Why do you make her go through all that? I have no idea. But what did he say she had? That he said she had faith? Look at it again. Only two people in the Bible Jesus said had great faith. This is one of them. Of his own disciples, he said at times, you have no faith. Other times he said, you got a little faith. The Thessalonians had growing faith. This is the only woman in the Bible he said had great faith. The other was a man, a centurion. Now, when I see in the Bible that God says somebody's got great faith and it causes God to act, I'm going to find out what they did. I want to know what this great faith is. 
I don't know if she knew the Bible. I don't know if she went to church. I know she was not a follower of God. She was a Canaanite. What's the only thing you see her doing in there? I will not be denied. Desperate. I don't care if God tells me to go away. I'm going to keep asking. I don't see anything fancy or deep or complicated here. I just see an attitude of desperation that says, you will help me. He says, no, I'm not. She said, yes, you will. And you, you say, I, I wouldn't want to offend God. He don't look offended to me. He looks thrilled to me. You know what I think offends God from my reading of Scripture? Lord, if it be thy will, you know, maybe. I don't mean to bother you. Well, never mind. I think that offends him. This passive... What, do you see a pattern through all this? I could take you all the way through the Word and show you all this stuff. You see a pattern. What was the attitude that caused God to move in their behalf? They didn't care what people thought. They didn't, they didn't have polished prayers. They were just going to grab God and hang on. That's it. This is not complicated. I hear people talking. They said, they're so complicated to make my head hurt. All I see is grab hold of him and don't turn loose. It does something. All right, I want to mention one more before we look at something. <laughs> That Jesus teaching this. Let me, let me go to the Old Testament and take one. We won't, I'll just quote it to you. This is in Genesis 32. There's a man named Jacob. Abraham had a son named Isaac. Isaac had two sons named Jacob and Esau. Jacob was a scoundrel. Matter of fact, his very name means deceiver. Actually supplanter, but deceiver. Scoundrel. And he had boo-booed his brother all his life. Tricked him, deceived him, did him wrong. And finally, his brother had all he could stand. And he got word, him and his, Jacob's big family, they were traveling across the desert. He got word, said, your brother's coming with his army and he's going to kill you. And you know what Jacob said? I don't blame him. And so he divided, he sent one wife that way, so, and another wife and family that way, and all the herds, he split them. He said, at least if he kills one, the other one will live. And he, he's, I'm having known your brother coming to kill you and you deserve it, you desperate. This ain't no if it beat our will mess here. This is one of the strangest passages in the Bible. This is Genesis 32. And the Bible said he went alone to pray and an angel of God appeared to him. Most scholars that I read say it was the actual incarnation, pre-incarnation of Jesus. And the Bible said he didn't bow down. The Bible said he grabbed him. He grabbed the angel and he said, you, you're going to help me. You're going to bless me. And he said they began to wrestle. I think the angel trying to get away. They wrestled all night. And he would not turn that angel loose. Finally, it's getting daylight. The angel said, the day is breaking. Turn me loose. Jacob said, I am not turning you loose till you do what I say. And the Bible said the angel smote him, hit him in his hip, and it put his hip joint out of socket. He would not turn loose. He said, till you give me, you bless me, I am not turning you loose. Now, what do you think God Almighty is going to do to somebody that grabs him like that? After you would not do what God told you, what do you think he's going to do? And the angel said to him, you have wrestled with God and you have prevailed. Your name shall no longer be called deceiver, but from this day forward, your name shall be Israel because you rule with God and you're a prince. Sound to me like he's not mad. Sound to me like he likes it. And God blessed him, changed his brother's heart, saved his lives and promoted him and made him rich. <laughs> Do you know how to grab hold of God and fight all night? And when he says, forget it, you say, I ain't turning you loose till you do what I say, till you do what I ask you. You say, that sounds blasphemous. Sounds like the Bible to me. See how this religious spirit in America has warped our thinking with this passive 
if it be thy will. Listen, listen to me. Find out what his will is. He wrote a book and told you. Amen. Break with this if it be thy will mess. Read this. His word is his will. Read it and find out and go after it. This, um, um, this, all this half alive, passive, maybe he will, maybe he don't. You can go home empty handed. Walk all the way through this Bible. Everybody he did great things for, they, they pursued him. They wrestled. They, they didn't care what people thought. They offended people, but they blessed God. It's, the word is desperation. That is spirit of desperation. <clears throat> all right, you're in trouble. Your family needs help. You go to pray and an angel appears. What are you going to do? Bow down. Are you going to grab him? When the angel of God tells you to turn me loose, what are you going to do? You don't have a sword with you, do you? How many of you would hold on him and say, I'm not turning you loose. He hits you and hurts you. You say, I'm turning you loose anyway. This man was made great with God because he could hang on. What's the Bible called? Faith. That's why he's in the Faith Hall of Fame. All right, I want you to see Jesus actually say something to you about this. Turn with me to Luke chapter 11, where Jesus tells you, now, now these are all pictures in the Bible. The Bible's not a Bible story book. This is God speaking to you. And in Luke chapter 11 is where he says this to you. Now you do it. You do it. I want you to do like them. <clears throat> Dear ones, I can listen to people pray, and I'm, I'm not being critical or judgmental. We've just been taught wrong. The, the American religion has taught us, you know, just roll the dice. Maybe something good will happen. We need to pray until what he said would happen in this book comes to pass. We got to quit playing at our praying. All right, in Luke chapter 11, the whole passage is on prayer. This is the premier passage on prayer. It's where they went to Jesus and said, teach us how to pray. Why would they say that? These boys have been in church all their lives. Good Jewish boys, they've been praying since they were babies. Why would they ask Jesus to teach us how to pray? Can't you hear what he said? Teach us how to pray like you do. Yours get answered, ours don't. And he said, I'm going to teach you how to pray. And then he tells a parable to talk to me and you about prayer. He tells them, pray that when you pray, say this. He gave us the prayer to pray. But won't you look at me in verse 5? Now, this is a parable about how men ought to pray. Which of you shall have a friend? Go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, I need three loaves of bread. A friend of mine has come on a journey. I don't have anything to put in front of him. Now, this wouldn't, you got to understand the culture. In that culture, there were no restaurants. There were no convenience stores open late at night. In Jewish culture, you had to feed guests that came by. It was, you, were just, you were shamed if you didn't feed them. Well, this man has unexpected guests show up at night. He has no food in the house. He slips out the back door. He goes next door to his friend's house and said, I, I got guests that have just shown up. I, I don't have anything to give them. I, I need for you to give me three loaves. I'll, I'll, I'll make some more tomorrow and bring it. You had to make your bread. I'll make some more tomorrow and bring it back. And he's, he's desperate. I mean, he's got to have it. Watch what he says, verse 7. And he will answer from within and say, don't bother me. The door's shut. My kids are in the bed. I'm not going to get up and give you anything. So he goes next door. He says, I, I got to have help. And the guy says, go away. I bolted the door for the night. The kid's in the bed. I'm not getting up and giving you bread. Now remember, Jesus is talking about prayer here. And I want you to watch what he says here. Verse 8, I say to you, dear ones, this is God speaking to you. He will not rise and give to him because his friend, yet because of his, what's the word? Well, different Bibles say different things. It might say persistence. We'll come back to that. He will get up and give him as much as he needs. Now, 
What has that got to do with prayer? I have got a family to raise and I can't do it without God's help. So I'm going to go see somebody that can help my family. And I'm going to tell him, you have got to help this family. I've got a need. How many of you got needs? My family, my kids need your touch on their lives. I'll do my part. I'll love them. I'll pray for them. I'll train them. But you got to help my kids. You got to help this marriage. You got to help me. I want to follow Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. But I find junk in me that is not like Jesus. And I can't do it. And you can do it. You got the bread. You know, I've got to, I don't have anything to give them. You got to give me something. Was, we need to go to God and say, I don't have anything to give them. When, when I'm pastoring or when anything you do, I don't, I'm not going to pull a sermon book out and come. I got to go to God and say, I got people coming and need to hear from me. You got to give me something. And listen to what the Bible said. He's not going to give it to you because you're his friend. Why is he going to give it to you? Because of your persistence. Now, that doesn't mean wear him out. As a matter of fact, it's a terrible translation. The Greek word anadia, here's the, here's the best we've got, boldness. You come to God boldly. I did not say cocky. I said boldly. Matter of fact, I need to give you a verse. Turn, hold your finger here. We're coming back. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4. There's one word that you need to always be aware of when you go pray. Faith is good. Worship is good in prayer. But there's one word should always apply to our praying. It's in Hebrews chapter 4. I love this passage. In Hebrews chapter 4, it says, Go ask Jesus. He will not criticize you. He will sympathize with your need. If you're having trouble raising your kids, he doesn't criticize you. He'll sympathize with you. He understands. If you're struggling with garbage in your own life and you're sick of it and you can't get rid of it, he doesn't criticize you. He sympathizes with you. Well, let's read it. Verse 14, we have a great high priest. He's passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God. You know, hold our fast confession means keep praying. Jesus is sitting right there. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. That's a double negative. Do not, cannot, cancel them out. Our high priest is sympathetic toward our weaknesses. Anybody here got any weaknesses? He doesn't beat you up. He's sympathetic. He's helped you struggling. And, and, but was in all points tipped. Verse 16, let us therefore come what? boldly to the throne of grace that we may get mercy and grace to help in the time of need. He said, Jesus is sympathetic toward what you need. But how do you have to go get help from God? The boldly, we don't even have a word for that word, Anadia. It simply means boldly. Come boldly to the throne of grace. Now let's turn back to Luke chapter 11. Now remember, Jesus said, this thing with me helping you is like a man who's got a, a guest has shown up and he doesn't have bread. So he comes and asks me for help. Listen to me. I'm not going to answer your prayers because you're a Christian. He will not rise and give to him because he's his friend. I'm not going to answer your prayers because you ain't cussed all day and you've got a streak going and you're a nice guy. I'm going to answer your prayer because you bang on my door. Boldness means, can't you see the picture? He goes and asks, I got friends coming and said, I can't answer the door. He said, bam, 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 bam. You, I, I've got to have bread. Go away. Bam, 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 bam. Don't you see the picture? He will not rise and give to you just because you're a Christian or you've been nice. But if you'll bang on heaven's door, he will give you, what's it say? As much as you need. He'll give as much as you say, Brother Brown, I don't want him. That seems pushy to me. Seems biblical to me. You need to ditch that religious spirit and read the Bible. All right, let me, 
Now, now remember, we just read that parable. Jesus told you, he painted a picture to teach you how to pray. Watch verse 9. So I say to you, ask, it'll be given to you. Seek, you'll find. Knock, it will be opened. Do you see the progression? Ask. Come ask me. But to seek is a little bit more than asking. That's to push on in. Tell me what knocking is. Not hardly. This is banging on heaven. Christians don't get The Rolling Stones got it. Knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door. But I don't know if they got in. Here's the deal. He said, ask God, chase God, bang on heaven's door, and he will answer you. Listen to me. There's an attitude that God Almighty loves, and it's that you'll have to kill me before I'll turn you loose. This prayer's got to be answered. Don't you understand my kids are at stake here? Don't you understand? I, I have got to have your help. I can't help this garbage. I'm addicted. And I beat myself up long enough. And people have fussed at me long enough. You have got to help me. See, Brother Brian, don't talk like that to him. Everybody in the Bible talked to him like that. He wasn't offended. You know what he called it? Faith. He called it great faith. And this is the, this is the great mystery. All right. All these, we looked at five different groups. I could show you all through scriptures. What do they all have in common? Number one, they had a need. Do you have a need? I know you do. Every one of us do. I got personal needs. I got needs for my family. I got needs for friends. I got needs for people I meet. I, I get calls day and night for people, can you help me? And I just think, only God could handle this. And I just have tremendous needs. And you do too. But what was, the, what was the other part? And boy, we got to get here. Tell me what else they all had in common. Number two, what? They could not meet their need. That woman who was bleeding, she, there was no other doctor to go see. That blind man, where was he going to go? I, I mean, the woman whose daughter's demon possessed, what was she going to do? Call a psychologist? They didn't exist back then. They, they, listen to me. You can't meet your need. You think you can raise children? They'll stick it in your ear. They'll show you. You say, I can be a good Christian. Mind if I watch? Simon said that. He said, Lord, they'll all run. I'll be right there. Satan ate his lunch. And the next time he was asked, he said, Lord, only you know. <laughs> and he finally, when he admitted, I can't do it, that's when he got help. In the high time we admitted we have a need and we can't meet it. But what's the third thing they all had in common? They would offend people and run over to get God and nothing was going to stop them. It, it, was, it was a spirit of boldness and confidence. And man, they were going to, as the Bible said, they were going to tie the offering to the altar with the horns with a cord. They were going to tie it down and stay there. They just wouldn't be denied. Charles Finney is the most powerful preacher ever preached in this nation. The, just the, in our, we couldn't even imagine what happened in the 1800s. He went to preach a revival, and I was traveling one day. I saw a sign, Welcome to Oneida County, New York. He was invited. He was president of Oberlin College, which is in Ohio, still there. They've gone nuts now, but when he was there, they weren't nuts. <laughs> and he was invited to come do a three-week revival in Oneida County, New York. Now, listen to what I'm fixing to tell you. He agreed to come, but he said, give me some time to pray. So he pulled his prayer team together, his prayer friends together, Father Nash. They prayed, and he would not allow anybody to pray with him. He wouldn't even let preachers come in and pray. He said, preachers are so offended by the way we pray, I don't want them in there. 
Well, they prayed for a while, and then he went to Oneida County and preached a revival for three weeks. Every single person in that county was powerfully converted. This would be 1840. Powerfully converted. Every saloon shut down. They closed the jail. You don't need it anymore. One wiry little man's preaching. The sheriff of the neighboring county was an atheist and he was mocking the revival and he said, I'll just ride over and prove it. He gets on his horse. He, by his own testimony, he said, I crossed the county line going into Oneida County. Something knocked me off my horse and I got saved before I ever got up. I said, we can't, we did, that's so foreign to the American church. But the point is, Charles Finney said, it's not preaching, it's prayer. But he said, that's why I don't let preachers come in our prayer meetings. They are offended by the way we call on God. They think we're hurting God's feelings by the way we pray. He said, we pray the way the Bible says to pray. And he says, we tell him, I'm going to stay in this room and call on your name, and I'm not coming out till you answer. Does that, does that bother him? If I read the Bible correctly, he likes that. It, it's an attitude. It's a, this American lukewarm, lukewarm, if he does, great. If he don't, I'll call the banker. You're going to be calling a banker. God loves people who say, you're my only hope and I will not turn you loose till you do something. And if I have to go to work in a while, I'll quit praying, but I'll be back here tomorrow morning. And I'll be back here the next morning. And I will die an old man banging on your door if you don't answer me. He, he loves this kind of stuff. Can't you see it? With the woman, in, oh, by the way, I forgot to point something out to you. When Jesus went and that woman who was a Canaanite came and asked him to help her, and he said, I didn't come to help you. Do you think he didn't mean to heal that girl? This, you want to make it even crazier? I don't understand that passage. All right, Jesus was teaching at Lake Genesaret, which is north central uh, Jerusalem to this day. The Bible said he went to Tyre and Sidon. That's an 80-mile walk. It took him four days. He got up there. The woman came and saw him. They went through that rigmarole where he said, I didn't come for you, and then he healed her. And the Bible said, go back and read it. As soon as he got done, he walked right back to where he was. Another four-day journey. Don't tell me he didn't want to heal that girl. He walked four days to get up there to do it. Healed her, turned around, walked right back where he's at. You say, well, why do you do all that? Don't ask me. I'm not supposed to know why. I'm just supposed to learn this. He likes it when somebody grabs him and says, you're not getting away from me till you do something for me. I can't explain this. Why do, we, why do we think we have to explain everything? Why can't we just believe it? Why can't we just say, then I'm going to do it? You know what be? You know what an evil father would be? Y'all ever heard of Tweetsie Railroad? It's the only real theme park we've got in America left anymore. <laughs> it's not woke. It ain't politically correct. Cowboys still carry real guns and they shoot blanks, but they're real. I used to take my children up. There's only a decent place you can go left in America anymore. I swear, if you boys use the boys' bathroom, girls use the girls. You understand all that stuff. <laughs> anyway, up at Treaty Railroad, and they got this fudge shop up there. They put it right in the middle of the park. It's a scam. And they make it there, and they cook it, and they don't, the stacks don't go up. The stacks go down. And they, pl they blow this fudge smell all around the place. It's a scam. And the kids smell it. You know, my kids, these little kids, we'd go up there and smell it. Now, could you imagine me taking my son? Of course, he's, I mean, he's one of the cowboys. Got both pistols on. And we always collect the empty shell casings from the cowboys, get pictures with him. Got his little cow, got his hat on, got his badge on. 
And we go over and I, and I tell him, look, look in there. I let him look in the window. He'd been smelling that stuff. He said, you want fudge? Come on, come on, let's come. I said, well, look, look in there. Oh, there's that brown. Oh, I bet that's good right there. Let's go there. And then I, I get it. I mean, there's slobber running down his mouth. And all of a sudden I say, you ain't a getting none. Come with me. You ought to call DSS on a father like that. Could you imagine me doing that to my son? He can have all he wants till his mama sees. Now you tell me something. Why would the God of heaven put my nose against all these miracles and tell me you ain't getting them? Amen. You either got to believe God or you got to throw your Bible in the garbage. And throw your religion, no, th keep your Bible, throw your religion in the garbage. <laughs> Go back to what the book says. These folks just would not be denied. I have to quit here. They just knew it. Now listen to me. You say, were they trying to fight God or convince God? No. He's the one who said he'd do it. Bartimaeus. This, who were they fighting? They were fighting the voices. Don't, leave him alone. Don't pray no more. Shh, don't be silent. Listen, you got voices in your head. Uh, you hadn't been a good enough Christian to get that prayer answered. You fight through that. So, well, you, you know, Aunt Susie, she got it, and they prayed, and she died. Fight through that. Amen. So, well, you, he didn't answer your prayer last week. Fight through that. You, you're not fighting God. You're fighting the unbelief, the doubt, the people's voices. There you, you just cannot walk in this kingdom unless you've got a fighting spirit. You know, the, some denominations, they took onward Christian soldiers marching as to war out of the hymn books. They thought it was too militant. This is a book of war. Yeah, we're wrestling with the enemy of our souls and the unbelief and the deadness of religion. But listen to me, right, right down here, right down here, your heart goes, yeah! I mean, the religion in your head and your logic goes, well, I don't know why. But your heart goes, help me. That's why I would pray out of our hearts and, and cry out. I, I pray one way when I'm on this platform in front of y'all. I do not pray like I pray when I'm in private. Half of you'd get up and leave. I, and I, I don't know if that's, he probably fussed at me for that one day, but you know what the deal is? My heart burns. I have got to have his help. Amen. For me personally. I mean, I'll be off the rails in a week if he don't help me. And, but you know what? He will help me. Because every day I pray like this and I get in there and I say, I am not getting up till you do something. It doesn't bother him. He likes that. This, Father, we wouldest that thou wouldest. He's got to look at Gary and say, what are you talking about? <laughs> I don't see that in the Bible anywhere. You say, well, that sounds too pushy. Who taught you that? I'm telling you, there's a religious spirit on this land where people are passive, half-hearted, lukewarm, instead of being desperate. The only thing I can see in the Bible is God answers desperate people. I've heard people say, well, you know, you got to get to the bottom of your rope for the Lord will help you. No, you don't. It's just that we don't get desperate until we get there. You could get desperate at the top and save all the pain. <laughs> get ahead of the curve. Listen, the Bible teaches this. Be desperate, be bold, and be blessed. As the deer pants for the water, but you can't have this take it or leave it attitude. As the deer pants for the water brook, worse than a deer's got to have water when he's thirsty, I've got to have you. This is the attitude. We should worship in the spirit. I get so ill sometimes going to these places and they sing, you know, what a mighty God we serve. <gasps> 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 he is worthy of better than that. 
we ought to pour our hearts out to him. We ought to live with that passion. You ever heard this? The first thing Jesus said in the greatest sermon ever preached is, blessed are the poor in spirit. God does things for them. You know what poor in spirit means? Ain't got nothing to do with this pocketbook. Blessed are the desperate, the needy, that God have help. Those are the ones. I want to quit by saying something. <clears throat> have you ever heard the voice of God? Sure you have. I just, I quoted it earlier. My sheep hear my voice. You're a sheep, aren't you? Well, you heard it. Don't try to figure it out. Just say, well, thank God I hear it. Now teach me to know what I'm hearing. I want to quote a verse to you, and I want to teach you something here. In the Bible, in the book of Revelation, which is exactly where we're at in this generation around us, Revelation chapter 3, we're in the Laodicean church age. Revelation chapter 3, where the church is lukewarm, the, the institutional church is lukewarm. And he said this, I wish you would either get on fire or cuss me out. Yeah. Don't know that. He said, I wish you were hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I can't take it. My wife says to me, honey, you love me? I say, yeah, I love you. Happy? Don't you know that blesses her heart? She don't want some guys, yeah, you're all right. You're all right for an old woman. Oh, I'm sorry, she's smoking hot. Dear ones, no woman wants to be loved half-heartedly. What would make you think Jesus wanted to be? Listen, she said, look, you either get, you either, it's either me or nothing, Doc. You either get your heart right or get out of here. She'd probably tell me that. Listen to what Jesus said. You are lukewarm. You know what lukewarm is? You're too warm to be bad, but you're too cold to be passionate. Lukewarm is the mixing of hot and cold. He said, now listen, I wish you were hot or cold. I wish you'd either be crazy about me or just cuss me and tell folks you don't know me. That's not the craziest thing I've heard. I didn't write it. He wrote it. And then listen to what he said. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He's not talking to lost people. He's talking to the church. And he said to the church, I'm standing at the door knocking. If you'll hear my voice and open the door, I will walk into your life. I'll come in. We'll fellowship together. You'll know it's me. He said that to the church. Well, bless God, if, if he's standing at the door knocking, guess where he ain't? He's not in your life. You can be saved in his spirit and not be working in you. You can be saved in the blessing of God. He said, I'm, I'm knocking. I'm standing at the door knocking. I'm asking you, open your life to me and let me come in and do things for you. He said, well, I had never heard him say that. Yes, you have. Would you think you're going to hear with your ear? Let me ask you a question. You ever been discontent with the way things are? You ever thought about your own faith and said, got to be more to it than this? That was the voice of God. That was him putting that in your heart. You ever looked at your family and said, well, you know, other people struggling too. I guess we'll struggle, but this ain't the way God meant families to live. You ever thought that? That was him knocking. That's him talking to you. You ever looked at you and you said, well, I've prayed 29 times and I got 29 zeros. Well, nobody knows. You got to say, I ain't th there's got to be more than that. Discontentment is the voice of God. When your heart is unsettled and you're, you say, this, ain't, this, ain't, this isn't what the Bible teaches. This is not what I expected when I wanted to follow Jesus. I want to be created in the image of Jesus. I want the touch of God on my life. I want this family blessed. I want to help people. That's God talking to you. That's if any man hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in. You've got to get discontent before you can be blessed. I'm telling you, discontentment is the work of God in your life. It's the work of God in your heart. All right. Years ago, I'm, I mean, it's a Wednesday night. It's been 27 years ago because I wasn't here. And a friend of mine who'd been on drugs terrible and he got straightened out. 
His wife put a pistol in his face one day and said, you're going to get saved or I'm going to kill you. Amen. He got saved. <laughs> Became a deacon in my church. I, I like women like that. that this, this, well, I'm praying for him. Praying for him, shoot him. <laughs> well, don't shoot him, threaten to. I'm serious. She was a Christian, he wasn't, and she told him no more drugs dealt in his house. One day a guy came over to buy some crack rocks and they went to the bathroom and, and he said, come in here, she'll, she'll raise hell if I don't. So he went in, she opened the door and he's standing there dealing with them crack rocks. She pulled out a 38. She stuck it right up his nose and said, I told you no drugs in this house. God. That's a woman of faith. And I'm sorry, I didn't mean to tell you. He, anyway, he got saved. He becomes a deacon. He, he's just as on fire for Jesus as he was for the devil. I mean, spirit of God on him. Well, he brings a friend one night who's on drugs. You know, you don't want to leave that crowd. I wish when people get saved, they'd hang around with that crowd still. And uh, brought him, and, he, and after church, he introduced it to me, and I said, you're struggling. He said, I'm on drugs. And, and he said to me, I've tried everything else. Might as well try this. I knew right then, you'll never see him again. You don't try God. He wasn't desperate. He wasn't, it was just one of them, if it falls on me, I'll take it. That's not what he does. I'm going to quote to you James 5, 16. Tell each other your problems. Confess your faults to each other. Pray for each other that you may be healed. And then listen to these words. The effectual, fervent, passionate prayer of a righteous man or woman causes things to happen in the earth. When did he go back and take that out of the Bible? The mild, fancy, trying to impress people prayer doesn't mean anything in heaven. But the old son of David, have mercy on me. That's fervent. The passionate prayer availeth, availeth much means it causes things to happen. You get on your knees in your bedroom and you tell God, you didn't create that child to live like this. You created this child for a better purpose than this, and I am not turning them loose to hell. I'm going to stay here till you do something. Amen. You know, I had one got off the rails after she got grown a little bit, and I said, I'm not going to say a word to her, but heaven will hear my voice. And I walked in the woods cause nobody, so nobody could hear me, and I cried out, and I prayed, and I claimed the, pro dear ones, claimed the promises of God. He likes to hear them. And, I just, and just something just rose up inside me and said, do not turn this loose. It wasn't terrible, but it wasn't his best. I said, I'm not settling for anything less than the best. And I'm going to pray and I'm going to, and I'll, I'll know exactly the place I was standing, right beside the oak tree I was standing beside. All of a sudden, my spirit just went, Phew. I mean, it was like, Phew. all of a sudden, there's no burden, no problem, just peace came over me. And you know what that means? He hadn't left you. The answer has come. It's done. I just said, praise God, walked out of the woods. Showing up two days later, called me crying, said, I have messed up big time. I said, oh, really? Really? <laughs> Praise God. I didn't, I didn't talk. We, we got to go back to prayer, Amen. putting our trust in prayer. When people say things to me like, well, all we can do now is pray, I want to say, don't bother. Am I being ugly tonight or what? <laughs> all we can do is pray. Boy, you'll get an answer to that. Yeah. You know what you need to say? We're going to pray and God's going to do something. That's our attitude we want to have. Well, I was going to quit by quoting that verse to you. James 1, chapter 5 and 7. I'm, he told me to tell you something, and I'm going to tell it to you. If this bothers you, take it up with him. <clears throat> it's not that I'm not scared of you. I'm just more scared of him. I'd rather face you mad than him mad. Are you with me? James chapter 1, verses 5 through 7 say this. 
If any man's clothes, if you, if you, if you're needed, ask, ask God. If you don't know what to do, ask, if you lack wisdom, ask God, pray, but let him pray in faith, doubting nothing because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea. Listen to verse seven. Let not that man think he'll receive anything from the Lord. Dear ones, if you're playing with your praying, I'm here to tell you, you ain't gonna get nothing. But listen to James 5, 16. Tell each other your problems. Pray for each other till something happens. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man causes things to happen. So if you're playing while you're praying, go and get you some popcorn. But if you're ready to do like Jacob and grab hold of that angel and say, I am not turning you loose till something happens in me, in here, for them. I am not going to settle for what we call normal unless it's normal Bible. Amen. And I want you to be the same way. It is time for the American church to rise, O sleeper, out of your death. Let's change the world through prayer. All right. Oh, gosh, I'm in trouble with the choir director again. Lord Jesus, I praise you and thank you. I cry out in the name of Jesus. Where did we get this stuff from? What spirit is it that caused us to doubt that you'd keep your word? What spirit has come on us that we don't believe you tell the truth in your word? I pray in Jesus' name. We don't need comfort anymore. We're so comfortable now, we're suffocating in it. Shake us. Stir our hearts. Spirit of God, make people uncomfortable. You're the comforter. How about getting into uncomfortable in business? Bring a great dissatisfaction in people's hearts. Tell them it don't have to be this way. God helped other people, he'll help you. And I pray in Jesus' name for that spirit of, of battle, of, of, of boldness to come on people where they come before you and, and it burns in their heart. He will do this for me. He cannot lie. And Father, for all the people that are not real spiritual, they don't know how to pray, they don't know how to pray fancy prayers, cut through all that stuff. Tell them, get alone with me and cry out. I pray we knock the religion off in Jesus' name and the polish and the formality and the half alive and the, well, we'll see. Knock all that off and be a people, as your word says, who lay hold of the horns of the altar and do not turn loose. I want to praise you and thank you. Dear Jesus, I've talked about some things tonight I don't understand. I don't care. I don't understand why you told that woman, I don't help dogs, and then turned around and healed her daughter. You don't have to explain it to me. I got it, sir. I got it. People that will not be denied will be blessed. I did get that out of it. I think that's all you want to see out of it. But I praise you and thank you. All through your word, it says over and over and over, people who will not be denied will be blessed. I don't have to understand it to read it and believe it. Now I pray for the people in this room. Form them in the image of Jesus. We weren't created to be American Christians. We were formed to be conformed to the image of Jesus. Free, healed, filled with the Holy Spirit, walking in the heavenly places, overcoming, blessed, fearless, triumphant, victorious, celebrating. That's the picture your word paints. I pray we settle for nothing less than what Jesus died to give and promised in his word. And I want you to also know I love you. And I praise you and I thank you for your goodness. In the strong name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.